Good morning, brothers and sisters. Uh, what a good thing it is to know that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead and we can celebrate his resurrection every Lord's Day, which makes me think of opening my computer this morning and seeing a headline in the New York Times. I don't go looking for it, but there it is. Uh, telling me that today is Super Bowl Sunday. I didn't know that. I don't care about those things. But, uh, you know, Super Bowl Sunday, that just, it has the ring of a wicked usurpation in my, in my ears. It's the Lord's Day. And, <clears throat> but uh, the, the headline said, Super Bowl brings Americans together in a way little else can. Isn't that a sad reflection on where we are as a nation and how much we need to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ? Love our neighbors for his sake. Is there something else here? <laughs> okay, a couple of announcements. Uh, one is I sent a flock note to everybody, uh, but it's meant for the men of the church, and it's just a last-minute check who's going to the men's retreat. So I hope you'll read your flock note, and uh, if it's appropriate, respond. Otherwise, don't worry about it. Um, and also, I noticed in the bulletin that uh, there's a request for volunteer to, volunteers to be greeters. You can see it. We'll leave it there. We are here. Uh, not to do the business of the, the corporate business of the church, but we're here to worship the living and true God through Jesus Christ, his Son, our Redeemer. <coughs> so let's spend a moment, each of us, uh, quietly preparing ourselves for the worship of God. And I'll bring us I'll bring us to attention in a moment. Would you please stand? Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, grace, mercy, and peace be multiplied to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ by the work of the Holy Spirit. Amen. When we uh, come together in Jesus' name to worship God, where are we? And you might look around and say, well, we're here <laughs> in this building. But... Uh, Hebrews chapter 12 gives us another answer to that question, and it's glorious. So I read uh, verses 22 and following of Hebrews 12. You have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels and festal gathering 
and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks better than the blood of Abel. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. We begin our worship together with the singing of Psalm 84. It's 84b. Psalm 84b. Thank you. 
Let's pray. Lord, we rise before you, the mighty king of all the universe, the creator and upholder of all that you have made, the farthest reaches of the heavens, every nation on earth, every ruler, every citizen, every beast, all is under your rule and control, and we are too. We confess to you, as we shall uh, further, we confess to you that in ourselves, by our own right, we have no right of access to your presence, and yet we have read your word, declaring that those who trust and belong to Jesus Christ gather with saints in heaven, with angels around your throne and are united to Christ at your right hand there for saints and angels adore you. Help us, O Lord, to adore you. Give us uh, eyes to see. Make clear the eyes of our hearts to see the glory that is yours and the glory of your grace to sinners like us, to bring us to yourself, to wash us clean, to bring us to each other in your church. Lord, we give thanks for these mercies. We pray that your Holy Spirit will work in us, that we may bring to you worship that is made clean in Christ and acceptable to you by the help of the Holy Spirit. Forgive our sins, we pray, and grant these desires. In Jesus' name, amen. Please remain standing. We're going to read uh, a passage of imperatives from Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17 verses. This is God's revealed will for how those who profess to be followers of Jesus live their lives. And we should measure ourselves by what we hear here. And I think if we are honest, if the Holy Spirit uh, makes us honest, we will see a number of ways in which we fall very far short and need the constant grace of God for the forgiveness of our sins, but also to enable us uh, to live as he calls us to live. So hear, hear the word of God from Hebrews 13. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money, and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? 
Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar here before us from which those who, do, who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin and burned outside the camp, so Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach that he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Please be seated. to repent and to grant us all his forgiveness as we do. So spend a moment, each of you, uh, in your hearts, in prayer before God, and then I'll call us to pray together the prayer that is in the bulletin. Let us pray together, confessing our sins. Most holy and merciful Father, we acknowledge and confess before you our sinful nature, prone to evil and slothful in good, and all our shortcomings and offenses. 
You alone know how often we have sinned in wandering from your ways, in wasting your gifts, in forgetting your love. O Lord, have mercy upon us. We are ashamed and sorry for everything in which we have displeased you. Teach us to hate our errors, cleanse us from our secret faults, and forgive our sins for the sake of your dear Son. And, O most holy and loving Father, help us to live in your light and walk in your ways according to the commandments of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. The Lord has this word of encouragement and assurance to everyone who is trusting in Christ for their salvation and forgiveness of their sins. Hebrews 4, beginning at verse 14. Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Amen. And let us sing praise to God for our wonderful High Priest, hymn 274, Jesus, my great High Priest. 274, the standards.
please be seated. We are supposed to remain standing, but remain seated. And we will join together the Church of Jesus Christ around the world to confess our faith in the triune God. It's, uh, from, we're using the Nicene Creed, and it's page 852 in the back of the hymnal. <clears throat> Christian brothers and sisters, what do you believe? I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made. Who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and descended into heaven and sits on the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And I believe in the Holy Church, I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Amen. Just a comment. Whose kingdom shall have no end. That follows on speaking of the living and the dead, but it really means Christ's kingdom. His kingdom shall have no end. Our psalm of the month this month is Psalm 87. And uh, when Pastor Michael asked me if I would fill in for him this Sunday, I thought, well, let's look at the psalm of the month. And so uh, turn in your Bibles, please, to Psalm 87. Psalm 87. A psalm of the sons of Korah, a song. 
On the holy mount stands the city he founded. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwellings of Jacob, dwelling places of Jacob. Glorious things of you are spoken, O city of God. Among those who know me, that's God speaking, among those who know me, I mention Rahab and Babylon. Behold, Philistia and Tyre with Cush. This one was born there, they say. And of Zion it shall be said, this one and that one were born in her. For the Most High himself will establish her. The Lord records as he registers the peoples, this one was born there. Singers and dancers alike say, all my springs are in you. Pray with me. Our Father, our ears have heard your word, an ancient word given by your spirit uh, so many centuries ago, and yet you intended to speak to us today. And so grant us, Lord, not only hearing ears, but understanding hearts, faith to receive your word and to be shaped and sanctified by it. Lord, if there are any present who are strangers to you, not surrendered themselves to you as their God or to Christ as their Savior, we pray that your Holy Spirit will bring that about through the truth of your word, the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. <clears throat> cities. Cities. Great cities. Man, even fallen and sinful man made in God's image, enabled by God, has built and still builds great cities, beautiful cities. I remember being six years old. It's one of my few memories from back then. And going with my parents to New York City. I was born there, but uh, was adopted when I was six months old, so I don't didn't remember the city. But I remember seeing it as a little child, and going up to the top of the Empire State Building, no trade center then, and looking out over all that metropolitan area and across to uh, Brooklyn and across to New Jersey, my parents pointing all this out. What a, what a wonderful experience that was. Uh, a great city. And since then, uh, I've lived in the LA metropolis. Uh, we've lived in Philadelphia. Have been to Chicago and Denver more times than I can count. And now we live here in the Twin Cities metropolitan area. And all these kind of great cities. Uh, here we find uh, arts, commerce, architecture, really wonderful architecture, beautiful parks, universities. There's so much to praise and admire. These cities are monuments to the capacities our Creator God 
gave to men made in his image. Even fallen man still bears the image of God, and so we create. Somebody created this pulpit. Somebody built this building. Uh, God made us to be able to do these things. But when we look at the whole picture, not the travel company's glossy brochures, when we look at the whole picture, what else do we see? We see terrible injustices, crimes of all kinds, brutality, poverty, filth, real filth, and moral filth. We see strife, uh, broken families, lostness, despair, and irrational arrogance. All that also is true of our sins. But then we can go back to the very ancient city, to Jerusalem. That's what Psalm 87 is celebrating. Jerusalem, city of God. Zion, referred to by name in verse 2. The holy mountain. Now, by modern standards, Jerusalem was a big town, not what we would call a great city. It was a mountaintop, fortress city, walled about, had great views of the country, north, south, east, and west. It was a Canaanite city, Jebusite stronghold, until King David conquered it and made it the capital of Israel. Of this city, David's city, Zion, Psalm 87 says, Glorious things are spoken of you. And in the preceding verse, The Lord loves her gates more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. A city favored highly by God himself. Now, these declarations were not uh, given by the Holy Spirit of God to inspire tourists to visit Jerusalem and spend lots of money. Uh, they are in the Bible because there was true glory in Jerusalem seen nowhere else on the earth. And this is not just long ago. In intervening centuries, the city's been destroyed twice, first by Babylonians, then by Romans later. But what this psalm speaks of is true today, and it's true for us. So we're going to consider what, what is it that made Jerusalem glorious. We're going to look at the astounding vision of Zion's future glory. And then we're going to talk about how that vision has been and is being fulfilled in a way that includes you and me, all who belong to Jesus Christ, so that the whole worldwide church of Jesus Christ sings, glorious things are spoken of you, city of God. So, the glory of Zion. 
By ancient standards, Jerusalem was an impressive mountaintop fortress city. I already mentioned impressive views in all directions. Political capital of the nation of Israel, after David conquered it, made physically even more impressive and beautiful by all the building projects of King Solomon. But in regard to these outward earthly things, we would have to say of Jerusalem, well, not so great compared with the really great cities of the ancient world like Nineveh, Babylon, Memphis in Egypt, Tyre, and Sidon. But the glory of Zion lay in this. God, covenant Lord of Israel, the Redeemer of his people had chosen Zion to be his city. Of all the lands and cities the world over, only Zion was chosen by God to be God's city. And so he transformed it from being a Canaanite and pagan stronghold to being the holy city his own city. From his exalted throne in the highest heavens, of which we get some visions in the book of Revelation, chapters 4 and 5, from his exalted throne, worshipped by myriads upon myriads of angels, God, the God of glory, stooped down to earth, to dwell in a special way among his redeemed people, his covenant people, Israel. He made known his presence to them in saving mercy. With mighty miracles, God had delivered Israel out of slavery in Egypt, then one of the most powerful nations on earth. He brought them safely through 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, the Sinai wilderness. He went before them and enabled them to conquer the land of Canaan on both sides of the Jordan River. He moved, he moved King David to bring the Ark of the Covenant, the holy emblem of God's presence among his people, to bring the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. And here, God called his people to come near to him. The glory of Zion was the glory of the Lord God Almighty, the covenant, faithful redeemer of Israel, dwelling in a special way in the midst of his people in that city. God was present in their midst, and that was amazing. Amazing that he did not consume them because of their sins. And so God was also separated from them. They could not just walk up to the inner sanctuary of the tabernacle and then later the temple. They were separated by areas of the tabernacle and by the inner 
the innermost place in the tabernacle by curtains and barriers. They could stand out in the courts of the people of Israel while the priests offered sacrifice on their behalf for their sins. And once a year, the high priest would go through a great curtain into the innermost sanctuary and offer the blood of atonement on the day of atonement for the sins of the nation. In all of this, they are reminded that the living God dwelt in their midst and did not consume them because he is a God of mercy and grace. And they must come to him acknowledging their sinfulness and depending upon his mercy and grace. Now, all of those things that God used to communicate that were pictures of something future. But here in Zion, God received the worship of his people, their repentings, their prayers, their praises. Here the priests declared his forgiveness of their sins. Here God's king ruled among them as his representative to administer his law. When Solomon dedicated the temple, the awesome glory of God burst visibly out into the open from within the temple, blazing fire and smoke. As God had appeared on Mount Sinai to Israel 400 years earlier, it was the presence of the Lord himself in the midst of the city that made Zion glorious. A believing, worshiping Israelite could say, the God who made and rules the earth and all the vast heavens, who governs all the nations of the world, makes himself known here in Zion. The joyful worshipers are pictured at the end of the psalm, verse 7. Joyful worshipers are pictured singing and dancing and declaring, All my springs are in her. Wait, springs in Zion? That's water, water springs. Uh, that might bring to mind Psalm 46. We go back to Psalm 46 and verse 4. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. What river? What river? Jerusalem's a city on a mountaintop. There were pools to collect water. There were deep wells going down into the rock uh, so they could have water in the city and withstand a siege and have water. There was no river in Jerusalem. And so what is, what is being spoken? Well, it's, it's metaphorical. Our springs are in Zion. Our springs are in... I lost the sun. <laughs> yes, there we are. All our springs are in you, in you, in Zion. Water. In a desert climate, water is very precious. Water means life. 
And water is a metaphor throughout the Old Testament and in some places in the New Testament also of the grace of God that gives life to dead people. The prophet Isaiah speaks of a day coming when God will pour out water on the dry ground and it will be fruitful. And then he goes on to say, I will pour out my spirit upon your sons and daughters. That's Isaiah 44. The springs of God in Jerusalem are the springs of his mercy. And they flow from the temple where that mercy that mercy is obtained by sacrifices for sins. That theme runs all the way to the end of the Bible. Chapter 21 of Revelation pictures the a great tree of life and a river that flows from the throne of God in the heavenly city that has now come down to earth. That great river gives life to all the, and fruitfulness to all that grow around it. God is watering his people with grace and mercy, making them fruitful, giving them life. And so they sing and dance. I know, Northern, Northern Europeans will sing, but probably not dance, but <laughs> joy in their hearts joy in their hearts for believers the time spent at the temple of the Lord in worship were high points of their lives and that was expressed in the psalm that we read as a call to worship Psalm 84 uh, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy. Not at the architecture, but to the living God. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than dwell in the tents of sin. Or we could look at Psalm 48. I just picked a few almost at random, not quite. Psalm 48, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. His mountain, his holy mountain, beautiful in elevation, is the joy of all the earth. Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great king, Within her citadels, God has made himself known as a fortress. Here we have looked, we have thought upon your steadfast love, O God, in the midst of your temple. As your name, O God, so your praise reaches to the ends of the earth. This is God, our God, forever and ever. He will guide us forever. Another psalm. Uh, just picked a couple. Psalm 73 is, is interesting because it's a psalm of Asaph who was one of the Levitical choir directors appointed by King David. And a number of psalms are attributed to Asaph. Psalm 73 is one of them. 
It's one of my favorite Psalms. But Asaph struggled. He struggled deeply with trying to understand how the holy and righteous God could permit wicked people to just 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 get away with living wickedly and 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 abusing their the power they had, abusing their wealth, living luxuriously, never caring, and saying, well, God's not going to do anything. And at the same time, Asaph was a man beset, apparently with serious illness all his life. I strive so hard to do what is right in God's sight, and I suffer. They don't. So, what delivered him? Verse 16 and 17. When I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. Everything in the sanctuary of God, the tabernacle and later the temple, proclaimed the glory of God, the holiness of God the righteousness of God, the justice of God that requires sacrifice to be appeased, requires deep humiliation and repentance on the part of those who wish to be forgiven. What then will become of those who say, I can live as I please and God's not going to do anything and die in that rebellion? Well, you make them, he says, you make them, uh, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall into ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O oh Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. God will deal with injustice. And when we come before him and we read his law, reminded that God takes sin seriously and we should too take our sins seriously well sadly a day came when the sins of the people of Israel multiplied and multiplied and multiplied they turned from the Lord and worshipped pagan gods they rejected his commands and trampled them underfoot. God sent his prophets to warn them, to call them to repentance, to promise them forgiveness if they turned back to him. They ignored them. They disregarded them. They killed some of them. Their hands were covered in the blood of injustice, the rulers, the rich. The people were unbelieving. Their ears were deaf to the word of God. And finally the day came when God abandoned temple and the city. You can read it in the opening chapters of Ezekiel, the closing chapters of two, two Chronicles and Second Kings. He left the city. He left it to be destroyed by the Babylonians first in 68, 688 B.C., and then centuries later by the Romans in 66 A.D., both for the same reason, because they turned their backs on God and would not listen when he pleaded with them to return. But Psalm 87 has a glorious vision of the future for Zion. And it's really an astounding vision, if you think about it. So let us think about it. 
Here is a vision of future glory that just ought to amaze us. The vision is proclaimed by God himself in verses 4 through 6. Among those who know me, I mention... Are you waiting for a list of holy people? <laughs> I mention Rahab. That's another word for Egypt. I mention Babylon and Philistia and Tyre with Cush. That's southern Egypt. The Cushites conquered Egypt at one point and tried to conquer Israel. Uh, these are all, what, what are these? What are these? They are all pagan nations. They are all nations that were, at one time or another, uh, the bitter enemies of Israel who sought to uh, destroy the people of God and sought to uh, conquer and, and make their, uh, their land, the land of the people of Israel, their land. And yet God says that Egypt, Babylon, Philistia, Tyre, and Cush will know me. And of them, he says, this one was born there, that is, born in Zion. So I said, I was born in New York City. But if I'd been in Israel, if I'd lived back in those days, of course, I wouldn't have been in New York City. Uh, God would say of me, whom he has brought to faith, you're born in Zion. How can this be? These nations were enemies of God's people. They were pagan worshipers of false gods. Philistines, the Philistines tried repeatedly to conquer Israel. They destroyed the place of the tabernacle in Shiloh. Uh, the other nations made war in Israel, destroyed the temple, destroyed the city, carried the people off as captives. And yet God says, these people will be counted as having been born in Zion. God keeps a register, we're told. A register of those who are born in Zion. And it will include people from those awful nations. Such a vision is astounding. Uh, to some, or rather to come, to come from the pen of a pious Hebrew, it could only have come because the Holy Spirit put it in his heart and directed his thoughts and moved him to write this vision down. Now, many of the Psalms express the longing, a longing, express a longing for all the peoples and nations to come and worship the Lord. Preceding Psalm, Psalm 86, verse 8, among, uh, there is none among you, let me try again, there is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. That's the vision. A future time when Israel will not be a little island of people knowing the true and living God surrounded by heathen 
who have no knowledge of him but hate them. To be sure, God had promised to Abraham, the ancestor of the nation Israel, that in him and in his offspring, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. So, last point, the fulfillment of this vision, and I'm sure, brothers and sisters, that you probably already understand the wonderful way God planned to make this vision real. He sent his son. He sent his only eternal son from heaven into this world, Jesus, to make atonement on the cross in giving his life and bearing and bearing the sins of all those whom God will call to himself out of every nation. Bearing their sins, bearing our guilt, bearing the punishment that we deserve. You might say because he was the eternal and infinite son of God, embodied in the man, Jesus, that those six hours on the cross were for him the equivalent of the eternity in hell that each of us deserves because of our sins. And not only for Jews who believe in him as their promised Messiah, but also for non-Jews, Gentiles, from every nation to the ends of the earth. Listen to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. Uh, John chapter 1, the opening of the book. Speaking of Jesus, he was the true light, verse 9, he was the true light which gives light to everyone coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Yeah, that's the world we live in. That's us. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him, the, the Jewish people who demanded that Pilate crucify him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. God sent his son into the world to call some Israelites and to call a multitude of Gentiles to receive his son, to believe in his name. And this is not our doing. We don't pat ourselves on the back and say, I'm glad I was so spiritually wise as to choose Jesus. We say, thank you, God. Thank you for making me yours. And so where were you born? As I said, I was born in New York City. Uh, some of you were born right here in St. Paul. You haven't gotten very far from home. At least two of you were born in China. Uh, Katie, who's not here, was born in Canada. Uh, we have someone born in Bosnia. Have you a lot of different places you were born. But if God the Holy Spirit has brought you to faith in Jesus Christ, 
and made you his. He's brought you into his church, and you have been born in Zion. What Zion? You don't have to buy a ticket on LL and fly to David Ben-Gurion Airport in Israel so you can go to your birth city in Jerusalem. That's just another city now. It's no longer a holy place. The Zion above, that was our call to worship this morning, Hebrews 12. We are citizens of that heavenly city. That's our true citizenship. We may be citizens of the United States or some other country, and we owe a certain allegiance to our country, but our superior, supreme allegiance is to our king in heaven, to our citizenship in heaven, to the city of God, Zion in heaven. Jerusalem was destroyed by the Romans. But Satan and wickedness cannot touch the heavenly city of God to which we go when we worship him. So are you a citizen just of the United States or just of some other country? Or are you a citizen of that eternal kingdom? We gave thanks in our call to worship that God has given to us an eternal kingdom which cannot be destroyed. So we ought to give thanks and worship God with fear and trembling because he is a consuming fire. Our citizenship is in heaven. Philippians 3.20, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. When Jesus gave himself on the cross for our sins, he made atonement for people of, out of every tribe and language and people and nation. Revelation 5.9 says, saints and angels in heaven, right now, saints and angels in heaven are singing this song to the Lamb. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign upon the earth. It's a glorious thing to be made a citizen of the glorious city of God. And what should that mean to us? Every time we gather to worship, the almighty triune God through Christ his son. We are assembled in the heavenly Jerusalem, united to Christ. Also truly but imperfectly here on earth, here we experience the, some people have called it the, uh, the beachhead of the heavenly kingdom in this fallen world. Uh, we experience the world to come, the heavenly world to come. In our worship, in the fellowship that we have with one another as saints of God, 
In anticipation of the marriage supper of the Lamb, we share together in the Lord's Supper. We hear and share the Word of God. We pray for one another. We pray for all the church. We pray for lost people in the world. We seek to do deeds of kindness and generosity for one another and for those in need around us in the world. In all of these ways, we express the reality that we are citizens of the heavenly kingdom, not just of this world. In these politically turbulent times that we live in, the city of man really is crumbling. And what should we do? We shouldn't say, I don't care. I'm a citizen of the heavenly city, my true home. We should pray for our fellow citizens here in Egypt, Tyre, and Babylon and hold out to them the good news of Jesus Christ for the better city that is coming. He calls us to call them into the eternal city whose builder and maker is God. And in the midst of this Babylon in which we live, we are to live visibly as the sons and daughters of God born in Zion. Our theme is not make America great again. Our theme is lift up Christ that people may be delivered from their idolatry and become citizens of the city of God. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we are thankful to you that you have not simply wiped the bowl clean as you did in the time of the flood, you preserved human beings upon the earth and out of, out of those you preserve you have called a multitude to yourself that is greater than anyone can number from every tribe and language and kindred and nation and so here we are before your face born here, born there, born some other place but born again to be your children born again the citizens of your city. Help us, Lord, to live, live out that citizenship, to give our first allegiance to you, to lift up Christ as our banner. And Lord, be pleased, we pray, to call men and women and children to yourself. Grant us, grant us the grace to be used in that. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's sing hymn 87, and then at the end of the service, we'll sing a hymn that's based on, on it also. Hymn 87, A.
just building for. We could have read further in Revelation about the marriage supper of the Lamb when the heavenly city, the holy Jerusalem, comes down to the new earth and there is a great feast, Christ in the midst of his resurrected church, the wedding supper of the Lamb. Well, this is a foretaste. Uh, It seems like a pretty homely little meal, doesn't it? A little bread, a little wine. But those elements are not made, meant to satisfy the hunger of our bodies, the thirst of our bodies. They are meant to lift our eyes to the heavens, to see our Savior whose body was broken as the bread is broken, to see our Savior, whose blood was poured out, whose life given for our salvation. We see that in the wine. And besides lifting our thoughts to Christ, not a dead Christ, but the living Christ reigning with the Father, who shall come again. When you eat this bread and when you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It is the Lord Jesus who ordained this feast of the soul. We lift our hearts, our thoughts to him as he stoops down by the Holy Spirit to be among us. We break the bread as he commanded us to break the bread. We share it one with another because as there is one loaf, we are one body in Christ. It is a feast of heaven. And so the invitation to the feast goes out, calling sinners to repent of their sins, to throw themselves on God's mercy, trusting in Christ alone, and to feast upon him by faith. And this meal, this feast right now then, is for those who have repented and are repenting, who have come to faith, or who believe. If you have been baptized with Christian Trinitarian baptism, if you have confessed a saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and been received by a true church of his that preaches the gospel, and you're in good standing with that church, you are welcome here to this table, to this feast, this morning, almost everyone. On the other hand, if you've never come to Christ in faith, this feast is not for you yet. 
If you profess a Christian faith, but you're in rebellion against God and not willing to repent, that's what you need to do. You need to repent. And until you do, the blessings of this table will actually be turned into condemnation if you take it lightly and disregard the call of the God who appoints this feast. But it's a joyful thing. We are to examine ourselves, not our neighbor. We are to examine ourselves, but not so we'll be plunged into mourning over our sins, but reminding us that what is displayed here is what we need. Christ and all his saving mercies and graces poured out upon us every day of our lives. So I invite you, brothers and sisters, believers in Christ, to come to share this meal. Uh, <clears throat> Let us ask the Lord's blessing before we leave. Our Father, we see the bread, we see the wine set before us. Help us, O Lord, to see in them the seal of all your promises that are yes and amen in Jesus Christ, your Son. The certainty of the forgiveness of our sins as we trust in him the certainty of the gift of your Holy Spirit dwelling in us and enabling us to grow in grace, restoring us when we stumble and fall into sin. As we share in these emblems of our Savior's work, we pray, O oh Lord, that we'd be sharing in him, deepening our fellowship with him, who is present among us by the Holy Spirit. We pray that you would strengthen us by this meal as by your word that we have heard to leave this place, to go to our callings, our homes, and to grow in love for you who have loved us in the love of Jesus Christ and to death. So bless our eating and drinking together. Do indeed make this a feast for our souls, we pray in Jesus' name. On the night in which our Savior was betrayed, he took bread, he broke it. He asked that it be, he prayed that it would be blessed by his Father. And he gave it to his disciples, saying, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup, and he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. All of you, disciples of Jesus, drink of him. So, as the elders take their positions on either side here, Invite the congregation to come forward. Up the center aisle. And receive the elements and then return to your seats by the outer aisles. And when everybody's been served, we will share.
to take together. So come. Get this bread 
See your Savior and his saving work for you and rejoice as you partake. Likewise, in this cup, see the blood which he shed for you, which washes you clean from all your sin and assures you of the Father's love. Rejoice. Let us sing. Praise to God, thanksgiving to God. Am I missing something? Hymn uh, 564. 564. together with the Lord's Prayer. Let us pray. Thank you, our Father in heaven, for opening the gates of heaven to us, that we might come to you through the great high priest whom you have given us, even your very own eternal Son. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you never fail to make intercession for your children, for your people. Thank you for sending the Holy Spirit <clears throat> who helps us in our prayers. And as we conclude our service, Lord, we would pray for one another and for those in need. We pray if there are any among us who are struggling with a guilty conscience or struggling with temptations to sin or struggling with wondering if their sins really are forgiven even though they've been confessed. Pray, O oh God, that you would come to them and meet them in your tender mercies and point them to the certainty of your redeeming work in Christ your Son. 
for those who may be lonely or beset with disappointed hopes, we pray, O oh God, that you would press upon them the reality that you never leave us or forsake us. And we can indeed say, God is my helper. What can man do to me? We pray, Father, for families. That you bless husbands and wives uh, to be tender and true to each other, to encourage and build one another up. For parents and children, that you would grant the work of your Holy Spirit, <clears throat> that those children might grow, to see the truth of your word, the truth of the gospel embodied in their own parents, and to come to the place where they love Jesus and confess it before the whole world. Our Father, we pray for those who govern this church, for the elders and the pastor, and Lou, who serves as a deacon. Oh God, give them wisdom, give them shepherd's heart, like the heart of our heavenly shepherd. Bless them with wisdom, Lord, that would be a blessing to this church to grow, and that you would be pleased, Lord, to bring people out of darkness into your marvelous light, out of the kingdom of the devil, into your kingdom and into this church. We thank you, Lord, for children that have been born in recent months. We give praise to you for them and uh, for the health of their mothers, the health of the babies. How good you are, O oh Lord, in these gifts that you have given. <clears throat> Father, we pray <clears throat> for your servant, Ivan Damaster, <clears throat> who has run his course with faithfulness and now is beset with Parkinson's. But we thank you, Lord, for the medicines that help him. We thank you for his wife, Carla, who is such a fine nurse to him. We thank you, Lord, for his heart, for his neighbors, even in his advanced old age, uh, to witness to them, to share the Bible with them. Lord, bless that work in their hearts. With, with Ivan, we pray that you would bless two men recently released from prison, whom he is encouraging to follow Christ, and come to the church and be established there. And we pray with him also for the Associate Presbyterian Church in Malawi, Africa. They have many needs. Lord, we pray that you would open your hand and abundantly supply their needs, even by opening the hearts of your people to open their hands and be your instruments in helping those churches. We know, Lord, that we have brothers and sisters around the world who are <clears throat> not enjoying the freedom that we enjoy in this country to worship as we do here today. I learned just this morning of the police breaking into a place of worship and taking the pastor and all the people to be interrogated 
Father, we pray that you would be with them to keep and preserve them, help them to be bold, to trust in the Holy Spirit, to give them a clear testimony to their interrogators. And in so doing, Lord, bring some, if not all, of those who abuse them to humble themselves before you and become your children through faith in Christ. We pray, Father, for the rulers of our own nation <clears throat> at every level of government. We pray that your spirit would put in them a deep and serious awareness that one day they will answer to you for what they have done with the authority you've given them. And that those who are living in rebellion against you with evil plans would repent and turn to Christ and be new in their thinking. <clears throat> and that those who are Christians would be faithful to you and to your word. And rule justly, not wickedly. We pray, Father, for various ministries, Christian ministries, from many places in the world, seeking to help those who just had their lives destroyed in the earthquake in Turkey. And may those people see, in the sense that this is your hand, and take you seriously, and throw themselves on you for mercy, and be open to the gospel message that comes with the help that is offered by uh, our own Diaconal Ministries Committee and the PCA, the Middle East Reformed Fellowship. Father, we thank you that as we come to the close of this worship, we can rejoice in all the good word that we have, we have heard and pray that it will work in our lives. And we pray that you would keep us through this day, that we might honor you with a sacred, with a holy rest, and that you would bless our return this afternoon to worship you again at the close of this Sabbath day. Please grant these blessings, O Lord, out of the abundance of your love and mercy. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> we'll stand and sing our concluding hymn, Glorious Things of Thee Are Spoken, hymn 403. Notice all the allusions to Old Testament events, not just the language of Psalm uh, 87.
look up and receive the blessing of our God, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Amen. <clears throat>